0: a look at some thoughts today from the Word of God as we like to do. Um, I actually, uh, I'm sure we all did, but I really enjoyed both of those testimonies, both Neville and Shining today and I want to talk um, a bit about the future of our body, our mind and our soul. It's a pretty big, um, it's a big topic and it's it's one that there's maybe many thoughts and ideas about or it's a It's a topic that people try and avoid in their life often, but the Bible has a lot to say about it and just as a way of starting, who can remember the last time they fed their body? <laughs> Most people can who can remember the last time they fed their soul it's um it gets pushed to the back sometimes, and feeding our mind is' something else that we do pretty easily these days we um carry little computers around in our pockets and it's pretty easy to keep our mind uh, constantly distracted or having input all the time. But feeding our soul sometimes goes to the uh, the back of the list. I want to I start by um, going back to uh, the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 10. So many observations made by uh, an old king of Israel by, of, uh, of Solomon and he had a lot of insights and he spent a lot of time contemplating things of life um i want to start reading in verse uh, 12
1: it says the words
0: of a wise man's mouth are gracious but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. <laughs> a fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be, and what shall be after him, who can tell him? It's saying a foolish person, it's they're full of words, lots of speaking, lots of information. They appear wise sometimes and have the answers. But it talks about who can tell what's coming just after them or after that. And just in our last 20 maybe 20 months of our world, coronavirus, natural disasters with bushfires and flooding and, and typhoons and cyclones, earthquakes, the day that we depart this life, who can who can tell? Who knows it? Who knows what's going to come? And it's really the question who can tell the future? And in verse 15 it says, the labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them because he knoweth not how to go to the city and another way of putting this is well the foolish person themselves and and the people that have to listen to foolish people you get tired i suppose of a lot of words and of their actions and through it all they lose their bearings they lose their sense of direction they don't know how to get to the city anymore and they're too caught up in their own words and knowledge and maybe maybe we see that in um a lot of positions of power in our world and so on and I don't want to be too critical of uh people in government and so on because they have a very complex job, but um often uh it's you know, things don't go well, there's problems that can't be solved. And just what does the Bible talk about of a definition of somebody who's foolish? We'll just turn there this back to Psalms, just Psalm fifty three, and it really it really says who a foolish person is. We might, we might have been foolish ourselves in, in times past and we might have our own definition, but in Psalm 53 verse one, it just says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. The easiest way to be foolish is to not acknowledge there being any kind of creator or God at all. That will never go well for a person. And occasionally somebody comes along in our world and they are able to see a very short way ahead, maybe a little bit into the future. And um, there's a video I just want to show. It's um just goes for a minute and a half. It's uh, by a fellow by the name of Arthur C. Clarke. Most of you may have heard of him. He's actually... Um, he's a science fiction writer, but he was um actually wrote part of the movie A Space Odyssey two thousand and one, if you know what that movie is. And this is in nineteen seventy four, and it's him doing an interview with the ABC about computers. So we're looking at almost fifty years ago.
1: And when we get this up. Well long my son got in the year, two
2: thousand and one. the same age as I am now, maybe he will be better adjusted to this kind of world that you're trying to control. The big difference and he grows up, in fact, if we want to the year of two thousand he will have in his own house, not a computer as big as this, but at least a console through which he can talk through his friendly local computer and all the information he needs for his everyday life, his bank statements, his theatre reservations, all the information you need in the course of living in a complex modern society, this will be in a compact form in his own house. He'll have a television screen like this here and a keyboard, and he'll talk to the computer and get information from it, and he'll take it as much around the as we take the telephone. I wonder, though, what sort of a life would it be like in social terms? Our whole life is built around the computer, so we become a computer-dependent society and a computer-dependent individuals. In some ways, but they are also enrich our society because they make it possible for us to live anywhere we like. Any businessman, and executive, could live anywhere on Earth and still do his business through a device like this. And this is a wonderful thing. It means we wanted to be stuck in cities; we can live out in, in the country or wherever we and still carry on. And the interaction with
0: human beings, as well as the other people. So, 1974, that interview happened. Um, pretty prophetic in a lot of ways to be able to see what was going to come. And uh, he probably didn't even envision that you know, a phone would end up in our pocket, and what he's describing would even happen just from a tiny device in our hand. And if a if a natural man or person can have, I guess it was only very short insight, it's only 50 years or so, is able to see what's coming. You think, how much more can a supernatural creator be able to see what's coming for our life when it comes to the future of our body and our mind and our soul? How much more will he be able to do that? And I want to go back to the book of Ecclesiastes, just in chapter 1,
1: And again, another of
0: Solomon's observations. Um, we we'll just begin reading here, Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 1. It says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I think he liked that word. But it really means unsatisfactory emptiness. He's saying everything, it doesn't satisfy, it's empty in the big picture. What profit hath a man of all his labour which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth for ever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteneth to his place where he is arose. The wind goeth towards the south and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually and the wind returneth again according to the circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full, Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labour. Man cannot utter it, or man cannot begin to describe it, how much (laughs) labour there is in toil in this life. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and the thing which is done, it is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything wherewith it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. That last bit's a bit of a, I guess, a bit to get your head around. I just want to read it from another version. Um, in, starting in verse 10, it says, Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new, it, it was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations or things of. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. And we could, I suppose with what we just saw of, of, of Arthur C. Clarke there and talking about computers, we might look at our world in the last hundred years and we might say, wow, there's just been incredibly drastic change in our world. And in, and in some ways there has but it's all about scale. It's all about perspective. I have just one photo too that I'd like to get put up just while I keep speaking. And I guess in our world today, the part of technology is that it's trying to take over our attention so that we'll spend all of our time looking at our world through a microscope instead of using God's telescope to have a look. And this photo here... Um, it's actually a NASA photo. It's from a, um, it's from a satellite or a spacecraft called Cassini. Um, it was taken in 2013. And it is the little light or the brighter light you can see on the left is, uh, the earth and the lighter one below it on the right is the moon. And it's 1.634 billion kilometers away, right on the edge of the, um, the solar system in the rings of Saturn. That's where this was taken from. And it's apparently about only the third time they've ever been able to get a shot uh, at that time, anyway, from, from that far away. And when you look at this photo, you think, well, computers or no computers, technology or no technology, pandemic in the world or no pandemic, 5,000 years ago, this picture would have looked the same. When you go that far out, what's really changed? Like Solomon was saying, you know, the generation to come, the one after it, they're not remembered. As far as our world and the universe goes in the big scale, everything continues on the same. We think there's a lot of change because we're in all the detail of what's happening in our world. But to God, the basic needs of mankind, they stay the same. What is always important, what still is now, is the relationship a person has uh, in their life with their creator. That's finished with that picture, thank you. And life, you know, it has it has a lot of great moments we have um you know we've got our families and and we've got the beauty of his creation and we've got you know the the ability to experience all the things that life would um well, i guess that were afforded and it varies for different people depending on what situation they're born into in this world but for all of that for all of the the things the good things we're able to experience Solomon you know one of the greatest or had the greatest insight that was given to him by the Lord. You know, this this king of ancient times, when he contemplated, he described it very accurately, and that is, this life's actually full of hard work, and without a relationship with God, the only thing people will really discover in the end is is an unsatisfactory emptiness. That's what will be at the bottom of it, and that's really what he was trying to convey and pen down. And maybe people will go through this life and say, no, it's quite a good life. But that unsatisfactory emptiness without God, it'll either come this life. If it doesn't come in this one, it'll definitely come in the one to come. And so we're just thinking about the future. Who, who can declare it? Who can, you know, when it comes to the important part of life? And I want to have a look at a story back in the book of, um, of Daniel, in Daniel chapter two. Interpreting a dream. a king uh, under pretty hard circumstances, I, I don't want to go through the whole story but Daniel is put in a position where um, he's in cap- captivity and he, uh, he spends a lot of time seeking the Lord and he comes to interpret a dream for the king of Babylon without being told what the dream is at all, so no clue, <laughs> starting from scratch, which is absolutely impossible in the natural terms. But not only that he gives the interpretation of it. And so just in uh, Daniel chapter two, down in verse nineteen, we read it says Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision, and then Daniel blessed the Lord I uh, blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God for ever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons, he removeth kings and setteth up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. So he's talking about a particular dream that has a lot riding on it that he's had to interpret but the credentials that he gives God about knowing the things that nobody else can know about the future is actually what I'm looking at and down in verse 27 we read and Daniel this is now he comes into the presence of the king and Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said the secret which the king has uh, demanded cannot the wise men the astrologers the magicians the soothsayers show unto the king, because if you're familiar with this story, um, the king had all of these people around him and he was going to put them to death for not knowing a dream they had never even had the description of. But Daniel was saying "It's you can have these kinds of people, but that, this is out of their scope, this is out of their realm. Said, They're not going to give you the answer. No one. These people are not going to know the future of this. And it goes on in verse 28 and it says, But there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. And that's what we're looking at today, the latter days of our body, mind, and soul. It says, thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. And then in this next verse, verse 30 here, he says, but as for me, This secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. And I really like that Daniel brings out before Nebuchadnezzar that it's not something special about him. And it's the same for God's people. It's not something special about us. It's not that we have any special given ability above other people. What it is, is that we have the Holy Ghost and power. And through that, God's able to give us insight. The future of our soul, and um it's not it's not something God wants to be private. It's something that He wants all mankind to know about, which is why we speak of the gospel. The good news that you can have everlasting life, that you don't have to be eternally separated from God and have everlasting death that's the alternative and just to quote it in first 1 corinthians 1 um, verse 21 it says for after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe it's pleased God to use that method to take to people what they need to do to be prepared for their soul that's the method God chose and you know, we're not just a mechanical being. We're not just, um, you know, this thing that has a, a has flesh and, and some blood moving around it that walks around and then eventually just wears out. That's how it, it feels sometimes. But, um, we've got a life force in us that, um, that can't be explained medically. You know, we, it's, it's a spiritual nature in us that God placed that's, a, that's an eternal part of us. And, um, just turn with me back to the book of Genesis, chapter two. We read about how this came into, into
1: being. Verse seven, in the beginning of creation here,
0: um, it says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Uh, this is, uh, yeah, and we read and it says, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. This breath of life, something, something different happened here. Um, God planted a garden and formed a man uh, of the dust of the earth. And in the Hebrew word, it means, uh, it's, it's nephesh, the word that's used. And it means he inflated him with divine inspiration or intellect. This came from God. And it's, this, it sort of described this, uh, this living soul. It, it's, it means it's the vital force which animates the body, and shows itself in breathing. This is uh, the kind of description. Um, some of the other words that are used, uh, Hebrew and later in Greek, are the soul, it's regarded as the, um, as the moral being designed for everlasting life. Another description is, it's the essence which differs from the body as it's not dissolved by death. A lot of people may not even believe they have a soul. It's an interesting question to ask somebody, do you believe you have a soul? A lot of people are not sure. But it's the thing that
1: actually makes us living and alive. Um, Ecclesiastes, back there, chapter 12. Read in verse 1. It says, Remember now, thy
0: Creator, in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, and nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. A lot of people, I suppose, as they live their life and they get older and go through it, um, if they haven't opened their thinking up to a creator, sometimes it becomes, come too set in their ways or it's, they look at all that's happened in the world or in their life and they, it's too late for me now. And so there's a, there's an instruction given here that don't leave it till the end of your life, but consider God as soon as you're able to in the days of your youth. And then uh, I know this, uh, this next passage down in verse six often, uh, is quoted uh, at a funeral, but we um I want to read it it says or ever the silver cord be loosed or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. it's talking about the uh you know the the cord of life and and another way another description of this last verse here it says um before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well. Don't don't leave it to that time. It says in verse 7, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. The dust, this body, it goes back to the earth. For many of us, um, you know, people, they're either generally, I mean, there's different cultures and different customs, but often people are either buried or they're, they're cremated. But either way, that's this this body here is not eternal. It goes it goes back to where it came from. In Ecclesiastes um
1: nine, just back a couple of chapters Verse ten We read
0: whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave. Where thou goest, it's like a, it's a way of saying whatever you do, or whatever you decide to do in this life, make it count. Make it count in this life because you can't do anything to alter it once we pass from this life. There's there's no device, there's no there's in no, and our in and our mind and all that it contained, and all the knowledge we might have accumulated, the natural side of us, well, that's done when our body goes. Our body isn't eternal. Our mind um, and our purely natural side of us, our thinking, it ceases when the physical body does. But our soul is the eternal part of us. First Thessalonians um, chapter five. I'm reading verse 23. I won't go through the list of uh, good attributes before it, but in verse 23, as uh, Paul's writing to encourage the church, he just says, "And the very God of peace." Sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most people think of, um, you know, it's common, I suppose, most people think of the three components of every human being as body, mind and soul. You hear, you hear about that. But a lot of people are unaware of the spirit because we've got to be born again to receive the Spirit, to be born of water and of the Spirit. And we know that Jesus Christ, he said in, uh, in Matthew 23, that uh, the greatest commandment was to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And when Paul um, is writing this encouragement here in, Thess- in Thessalonians, it's funny, he's, um, compared to the way um, people would say about it, you know, body, mind, and soul, Paul kind of reverses the order. Because he says, pray that your whole spirit and your soul and your body be preserved blameless. The body goes last. Can't take that part with us. But he's, what he's talking about is being free of blame. And the spirit of God, we know we must receive the spirit of God if we want an eternal future that's good with our creator. And we know this happens to us as we heard in testimony when people speak in other tongues. It connects us to, to God. We become... Uh, Well, we become purchased by him. He paid for that experience with the blood of his own son and it allows us to worship God in spirit and in truth. We become a true worshipper and we become in fellowship with him and we become joint heirs with his son, with Jesus Christ, joint inheritors with the son of God. And I suppose one way of putting it is the soul that God's given us is the part of us that makes us, makes us conscious of being. It's the thing that makes us know we're alive and we're in this world, is our soul. Um, the Bible tells us again in Ecclesiastes that God, God's actually set the world in our in our heart or in our thinking. He's placed eternity in us. The body, the natural body that we have, it actually connects us to our environment in this world. It gives us a physical connection to this world so we can experience it. But the Holy Spirit, which is the part that isn't just given from birth like the rest, it's the part we have to ask God for in obedience, it's the part that keeps us faultless before our Creator in our worship to Him. And the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is the thing that redeems our soul from death. Not the natural death, but the spiritual death that is to come, the death of the soul for for people that, Want to keep a creator totally out of their thinking, and what what um, Paul was writing in Thessalonians is that without that Holy Ghost, there's no way that without God's Spirit, there's no way that we could be presented blameless in our body, in our in our mind and soul and spirit. We wouldn't be able to to do that. But God's Holy Ghost, we know it's a it cleanses us from all sin as we walk in it. And it's, uh, it's very, very powerful. Psalm chapter three. David wrote a lot, um, about the redeeming power of his creator. The Holy Spirit wasn't poured out as we know it in the New Testament, but God, uh, David knew what he believed. And, um, in, in Psalm chapter three, just in verse, uh, two, I want to read. It says, He's actually talking about people that are raised up to, or have been raised up that trouble him, but he says, many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. And a lot of people believe that these days, that there is no help for our soul, for our life, in God. There's no help to be found there. And um, well we know that to be very, very different. Just, just in, you know, Shani's testimony. Um, maybe, in, if, if all of us, we were able to go around and share a part of our testimony, maybe we felt the same. That there, that there was a time when we thought, uh, I don't really know if there's any help for me in God, for my soul, for my life. And yet we've discovered that there is. He goes on and he says, but thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. A lot of people with, um, downcast heads in the world at the moment. And he said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill. When we call out to God, no matter where we are, he hears us. He hears the cry of the righteous, but he hears the cry of the unsaved as well, of people looking for truth. Um, I won't turn to them, but just some other observations by David. In in Psalm 86, he just says, for great is thy mercy towards me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. In other words, he knew that God was going to deliver him, not just from going to the grave when he naturally passed away, but from, uh, from Gehenna, from, from the death of the soul, the spiritual death. He knew that. And, um, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus also spoke about, he said, not to just be fearful in this life of people that are able to kill the body, that have the power to take our natural life from us, he said, um, but are not able to kill the soul, and he said, but rather we should be respectful and fearful of the one which is able to destroy both the body and the soul
1: in hell First um, Peter Chapter Two, just a couple of things, uh, verse eleven.
0: Peter um writes here, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, as people who our who our home and where we belong is not really here. It's not really in the natural realm, that's not our destiny. He says, Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Stay away from the things that are just so common and so, um, abundant in our world now that, that our world says, Hey, it's no big deal. It's really no problem. It's just freedom of thinking. It's just you exercising free choice and, and liberty and, you know, just enjoying your life. Whatever comes your way, just take it on board without question. And Peter's warning and saying, look, stay away from it because the end result is it wars. With that eternal part of you that God is so so dearly and, and, and paid such a price to save, and um, there's probably a whole um and I spoke there's a whole lot we could say about it we'll keep reading but he says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. So, in other words, our our conduct and our our decisions when we seek the Lord, in not to just become like everybody else around us, and and use the standards that are set around us, that we just adopt those into our lives, so that it ends up being no difference and no testimony. It, it, Peter's writing to encourage to say, stay away from those things, that people are going to behold it, and in the day of visitation when God comes back, maybe it'll be, and we know we have people like this in the room today because Shani mentioned it about sarah because of seeing a difference they inquired they come to the lord and when and when the lord comes back praise the lord they'll have a turn of eternal salvation for their soul as well um second corinthians uh, chapter 5 i remember for myself um I put off for a time I suppose uh, coming to uh to a meeting at, at 20 years of age and and coming and checking it out for myself because um, the Bible talks about it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God, and um, even though sometimes when people are not really wanting to uh, to acknowledge God or or follow the Lord, deep down there's a part of them that understands that this is not um, something light and that it's a it's a commitment, and that if I if I open myself to this, maybe I'll have a responsibility. Before some, you know, to something and before something that greater than I'm prepared to. But I guess the way we build it up in our mind is that when we, when we're just happy to humble ourselves and come before our creator, he, he says, you know, his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light that he doesn't put this weight on us that we can't carry. But at the same time, God says, I want you always to be aware of what, what's at stake here that this life isn't simply passing through and enjoy yourself and try to be a good person. But at the end of it, as an account for our life and um in yeah second corinthians chapter 5 um verse 10 it says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it is good or bad and again as i was saying earlier without god's holy ghost without his uh his blood and as we walk and are led by the spirit his blood's ever cleansing in our life without that if we had to appear before the judgment seat of christ and give account for the things done in our bodies not any of us would have any hope but we know it's uh we we are well, we're washed in the blood of the lamb if we're born again and we walk in that spirit and um we really we we stood before the judgment seat of christ in a way when we got baptized when we acknowledged and said I'm a I'm a sinner and I need to, I need to be born again. I need to do it your way, God. We judged in a way ourselves, and um many, many people avoid that. They put it off, and they they think, no, I don't need to do that. But the Bible tells us this time will come. The last verse I want to look at is back in Job chapter nineteen, verse twenty-five. Could start back a bit earlier, but we'll just read this. It just says, and Job also had the understanding before. The Holy Ghost was poured out. He says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Job knew there was an eternal redemption required that our soul is the part that needs redemption. And hopefully if we, um, you know, if we have anybody newer or anybody listening online and, um, and you know that it, and you sort of thought about these things and yet, you know, you haven't you haven't been convinced of men, and that's not the idea, to be convinced of men, but to be convinced by the experience of God. Repentance, baptism, and the Holy Ghost. Born of water and of the Spirit. Preparation to have our soul ready for eternity because the body and um, and the mind and, and so on, it's and the spirit of life, the animated part that makes us alive, it'll go back to the one who gave it, but one day we're going to depart. And, um, and we need to be ready because, uh, the son of God, we know, um, all the things that he's spoken about. It could be any time and, uh, and every day that goes past, every moment that goes past, we get closer to that time. And, um, praise the Lord that, that opportunity is there for anybody, that anyone, uh, you know, make contact with somebody you know. If you're listening in, you can be born again and be, and be ready and be prepared and it will become very, very real for you. Um, the relationship with your creator and I'll, I'll leave it there.